good morning. Welcome to Campus House. Glad that you joined us this morning. I know it's a busy season. We're glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. For our sake, for our semester, we have uh, only two Sundays left, this one and next week. And so for this really short period of time, we're going to do an Advent Christmas series. And so it'll really take place all within this one week. Today we'll start Friday at our Christmas worship service. We'll continue and then next Sunday will be our final one. So Advent is the season. It means the coming of the Lord. So Advent is a season that leads up to Christmas. So it goes from today, actually this is the first Sunday of Advent, and leads you all the way up to Christmas Eve. Um, there's some great devotionals out there you could go find and read that help you understand what it means for Jesus to come to earth. And that's what we're going to look at, even though our Advent series will be cut much shorter than the actual time of Advent. Today, uh, in the three things we're going to talk about over the next, the today and Friday and next Sunday, we're calling it Blue Christmas, Bright Christmas, and Bold Christmas, looking at the things that God offers to us through the gospel. And today, we're talking about Blue Christmas, largely what that means around grieving is Christmas for those who are grieving. You know, every year the winter solstice happens between December, sometime between December 20 and 23rd, every single year. And the, and the winter solstice is the day that we experience the shortest period of daylight and the longest night of the year. Essentially, it's the day with the most darkness every year. And it happens just a few days before Christmas every single year. And a few years ago, I worked in a church just up the street, uh, about a mile and a half from here, called Riverside Covenant Church. And every year on the winter solstice, just before Christmas, we would host a special Christmas service called Blue Christmas. Our Christmas Eve service had children's choirs and a lot of joyful singing. It had a very joy-filled message. And Christmas service, if there was a Christmas morning service, was much the same. But... On the longest night of the year, we'd host a very different kind of Christmas service, Blue Christmas, and it was intentionally for those who were grieving or were wondering about questions of doubt and loss at the time right before Christmas. And that might sound strange. Why would you want to have a Blue Christmas, a sad Christmas sermon? Well, we hope it's not sad, but who wants to think about sadness during Christmas season? But we wanted to acknowledge that for many people, having a holly jolly Christmas feels really difficult. You know, this year in September, uh, my mom's mother, my grandmother passed away. And I just, I keep thinking about how this Christmas is going to be so different than every other one, especially for my mom. Recently, I was talking to someone who was telling me about how an affair between the their brother-in-law had an affair on their sister, and now it's putting their marriage in jeopardy. I know some people who every Christmas feel especially torn between their parents because their parents are divorced, and they feel torn about where to spend time and how that's going to work. And there's others who even the thought of going home at Christmas time is not joyful, but actually scary because it's a place of past abuse. Many of us might feel pressure at this time of year to put on a smile, to celebrate Christmas, while inside we might be wondering, is Christmas, can it be for those who are sad? What if I'm not feeling especially joyful this year? 
And what we want to talk about today is that our problem is like that of all people around the world in all centuries and at all times. And it's that it's so easy for us to forget that it was for those who grieve that Jesus was born. This is the reason Christmas even exists. It's not an add-on like, well, I hope I'm not sad at Christmas time. But in fact, the reason Christmas exists at all is because of sadness. For some of you, Jesus' birth stirs up little joy. And, it, and maybe not even because you, you don't want it to. But because you've known the kinds of pain and sorrow, the kind of questions and doubts that actually crush joy. And so today we want to say a gentle word of care to you. Christmas is still absolutely for you. In fact, it's especially for you. A wonderful pastor I know in St. Louis says this uh, at Christmas time. He said, every fellow friend in the Christmas story, whether it's Simeon or Anna, Mary or Joseph, Zachariah or Elizabeth, the shepherds or the wise men, the oppressed under Herod or the oppressed under Rome, even Jesus himself, all experienced what it meant to encounter soul-ravaging and joy-crushing evils and pain. But at the coming of Christ, they also encountered hope. Their hope found anchor in deeper places, and so can yours. Today, we are going to let one of these stories be our guide, a guide for our suffering, a guide for our struggles, a guide for our questions and our sorrows at Christmas time. because your greatest hope this Christmas will not be the absence of your wounds. It is the presence of Christ. Your greatest hope at Christmas isn't the utter absence of pain, but it's the presence of Christ with you always in all of it. That's actually the meaning of Christmas. When we read the gospel accounts surrounding Jesus' incarnation, the coming of Christ, Christmas, we see that God's way of telling the story includes rather than removes painful details of life. We're going to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. And the painful details of their life are not removed in order to make Christmas sound super happy. It's actually all spelled out for you right there so that you can see actually why Christmas is joyful. Not because it ignores sadness. Not because it ignores sorrow. But because it absolutely includes that. God has included that in his understanding of everything. He is not unknowing. And yet for you and I, even if we recognize Jesus came particularly for those who are in darkness, uh, this creates a tension for us, doesn't it? Back in 2013, when I was at Riverside Covenant Church, I got to hear a story of a young woman who was a young mother, and she was sitting in the waiting room of a doctor's office, and her three young children were playing at her feet, waiting for the doctor to call them back. And the young woman noticed across the room an older woman who was also in the waiting room, and she was watching the children play and smiling. Uh, there was this sparkle in the older woman's eye, but she could also see there was clear sadness on her face. And the older woman actually got up and eventually walked over and talked to the young mother. And she smiled and said, you're so blessed, your children, they're so beautiful. And the young mother thanked the older woman. And she said, well, what about you? What's your life like? And the older woman said, I too have children, but my children are mostly grown up now. They're uh, just leaving college or have their own children now. I also think that my life has been truly blessed. I have a lot of joy. But then her smile faded a little bit as she told the young mother about one of her daughters. And she said, but my daughter, 
she has children, and the, these children, my grandchildren just lost their father to cancer, and my, my daughter lost her sweetheart to cancer. I have no idea how we're going to do Christmas this year. And these two women who were strangers a moment before just wept together in the waiting room of a doctor's office. And the young mother went home with her children. And she was thinking about all the things that she loves about the holidays. Christmas songs and Christmas carols, the fragrance of pine trees, hot chocolate, making Christmas cookies, hanging the ornaments on the tree, watching snowflakes fall in the cold December air. And she thought, but all of this is so good because of the people around because of the family that I have, that we have good, close relationships with, the things that God has provided. And she remembered on the way home, she heard one of those famous Christmas songs that kept saying, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And she kept thinking about that older woman. By God's grace, a lot of us actually have true good opportunities for Christmas to be a truly wonderful time of the year. It really can be a holly jolly Christmas, so to speak. It is possible. But for others of us, whether a long time, for a long time, or maybe for the first time this year, Christmas feels hard. And whether Christmas is a grand celebration or a difficulty for you this season, We want to remember today the roots of Christmas because the roots of Christmas get at both joy and sorrow. We have to work towards this. Jesus came into the world to identify with people in darkness and who need the light. We, you and I, are caught between two worlds right now. This world that Jesus promises where there's no more tears and no more sorrow, no more suffering and no more pain. And then the things we confront every day when we wake up and we see where we are. We are caught between two worlds. And the truth is that the holidays do not sanitize life. Just because there's the holidays doesn't mean everything feels joyful and great. Because our hearts can still ache with the brokenness of the world. And maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've talked to a stranger in a waiting room or you've seen headlines about tragic wildfires or another shooting. Friends, when the rhythm of school stops, when things slow down, even just for a few days around Christmas, you and I might be confronted with something that we forgot because as our rhythm changes, we start thinking about things maybe in a different way than we have been. We live in this tension between two worlds, and we can't escape this lingering truth that our world is shadowed by darkness, and it desperately needs light. But Christmas is especially for that. In Luke chapter 1, I want to walk you through uh, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth to see how Jesus comes to show us that Christmas is especially for those who grieve and to bring us joy that's actually able to face up to the difficult circumstances, the struggling feelings that we have without ignoring them or being controlled by them. We're not going to ignore that pain is there. We're also seeking not to be controlled by that because Jesus offers us a different way. So here's the end, towards the end of Luke chapter 1. I'm going to skip the story part and then go back. Because by the end of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, who was a priest, right before essentially the first Christmas, summarizes what Christmas is all about. In Luke chapter 1, verse 67 
to 69, 72, and 74 to 79, right at the end of Luke chapter 1. And here's what it says. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. So God comes to him and tells him to speak this because this is what Christmas is about. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David to show mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, speaking of John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for Jesus, you will be called prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, to give light to those who sit in darkness under the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is Christmas. If I was to summarize uh, most of what we just said in one sentence, I'd say the Spirit of God is saying to us, I will come to my people and I will deliver them from all their troubles. I will bring them salvation. I will bring them forgiveness for their sins. And verse 78 and 79 told us why. Because of the tender mercy of our God. He is not immune to our need, our helplessness, our pain. Instead, he says, it's like the sunrise. I will send something like the sunrise. And out of what seems like endless darkness will come an incredible light that will shine on you, that will overcome death and guide you into peace. He comes to guide our feet into peace rather than pain. That's what this last verse is saying in verse 79. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. But for you and I, we often believe it is pain, not peace, that our lives are being guided into. Doesn't it seem like that so often? There's two things we're going to talk about out of this. Grief blinds us to believing God. One of the things that grief does, one of the things that sorrow does, is that it blinds us to believing God. But we want to see that through this, actually, grief will reveal to us the grace of God. But first, we have to see, how exactly does this work? We've talked about the painful realities of life. But how, then, does it blind us to believing God? Let's go back in Luke chapter 1 to verse 5. Because here we've got to see, why is it that this prophecy, the Holy Spirit speaks through Zechariah? What's going on in his life that this would be such a powerful message, Christmas, for him? Well, this man named Zechariah had a wife named Elizabeth, and they lived in the time right before Jesus is being born. And in fact, Zechariah and his wife, uh, his wife Elizabeth is a relative of the Virgin Mary, so they're cousins. And Mary's the one who gives birth to Jesus, but before Jesus was born, another baby was born, his cousin, who would be known as John the Baptist. And so both this stories throughout Luke chapter 1 show us that both Jesus' birth and John the Baptist's birth were miraculous. And here, why? What's so miraculous about Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist? Uh, well, it says this, that uh, they had no child because both 
Zachariah and Elizabeth were barren. Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were well along in years. That's what it says about them. Uh, God, it says they were righteous. They both walked with God. But verse 7 of chapter 1, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were advanced in years, well along in years. In the ancient culture of the Jewish people at this time, it was sometimes assumed that you must not be a very good person if you didn't have children. In fact, it may be that God was judging you for something that you had done. Uh, so they had thought that if you don't have a family, it's because God has judgment against you. In the same way, maybe in a, a culture like ours where we think, if I don't get a good career, it's because God must not like me. If I don't get uh, some of the things that I'm working towards, it might be because God doesn't like me. Same feeling they would have had about not having children. And you know that they felt great shame about this because in verse 25, when they do conceive a child, this is what Elizabeth says. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What she's saying is people in my local community actually had contempt for me because I didn't have a child. They looked down on me. And as for Zechariah, he learned, when he learned that his wife would become pregnant through an angel coming to tell him this, while he was serving God in the temple, uh, when this angel appeared, go back to verse 12 uh, and look at that. The angel comes, and as a result of speaking about this birth that was going to happen, the angel says that Zechariah is going to be silent because Zechariah didn't believe what the angel said. Here's what it says, uh, 12 and 13. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So that's John the Baptist. The angel tells Zechariah that John will be unique from all other people. He has a particular job to do. He's going to be the one that tells the Savior is coming. And Zechariah just had this terrifying encounter with an angel and essentially saying, Zechariah, look, God has actually heard your prayers. You know how it's been years and years and years of felt silence with God? Let me tell you, let me personally tell you, God was actually listening in on all of your prayers about having a child. He knows that you've been hoping for what you've been hoping for but haven't received. And guess what? God is now answering that prayer. To you, it's felt like a long time, but to God, it's perfect timing. He is giving you not only a child, but the last prophet who will tell about the coming of the Savior. And Zechariah essentially says, when he hears that his prayer request is being answered, he's prayed many times for this, he says, I don't believe it. This is what he says in verse 18. I am an old man. And my wife is well along in years. How will I know that I can have a child? And Gabriel, the angel, tells him in verse 19 and 20, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, unable to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. So what do you see? What are we looking at here in Luke chapter 1 with this older married couple? You see these people who are faithfully serving God, and they pray to God all the time, and yet at the same time, they're experiencing feelings of shame, feelings of failure, that they're not good enough, feelings of sorrow, that God doesn't seem to be coming through for them. 
Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth have been grieving because they're older. They're an older couple. They've been grieving so long because they're unable to have a child uh, that when an angel, a messenger of God, shows up to them to tell Zechariah that, one, his prayer is actually being answered by God, and two, God promises it really will happen at the right time, Zechariah's grief about his circumstances and his belief about himself that he's too old and unable overcomes his ability to rejoice and believe in God's promises. Can you resonate with that? That many times your grief about your circumstances and your belief about yourself overcome your ability to rejoice in and believe God's promises. Look, Zechariah has been faithfully serving God for years as a priest, praying to God, but his circumstances in his own mind seem to reveal to him, I work for God, but I'm not sure God works for me. And so he can't fathom it when God says, I know your prayers, Zechariah. I know that you serve and love me, but know this. I haven't come to you because you serve me, but I've come to show you that I will serve you. I will bring about the thing that is most needed. It's not just a son for your family. It's my son for the world. We do fit within God's grander purposes, but we don't get to dictate what they are. And yet we, and like Zacharias, struggle to believe it. it. We can be grieving for so long, we can't imagine a life where God would come to us in an amazing way in order to bring us peace and joy. To show us that he's actually been working all along. He has a greater purpose than we ever imagined. He, he sees our grief, he understands our circumstances, but he is working all things for good well beyond what you and I see in the moment. What about you? What have you longed for that you haven't received? What have you prayed about that you think, I have not received an answer to? What seems missing from your life that you feel ashamed about not having? What is absent from your life that keeps reminding you of this nagging thought that maybe God isn't real, he isn't so good, he doesn't actually care for me, he's forgotten us here in our personal challenges and struggles. Is God for me when I'm facing grief or loss or doubts or questions? This was Zachariah's question and his struggle. The grief in him was greater than the belief in God's goodness. So that even when God showed up personally, he couldn't see it, he couldn't hear it. The great author and writer C.S. Lewis lost his wife to a terrible sickness. And in trying to process his grief uh, in losing her, he wrote in his journal, I've gradually be been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? The time when there is nothing at all in your soul except a cry for help may be just the time when God can't give it. You are like the drowning man who can't be helped because he clutches and grabs at the one trying to save him. Perhaps my own reiterated cries deafen me to the voice I hope to hear. You know what he's saying? Can't help if maybe Zachariah felt the same way. Lewis realized that sometime after his wife's death, that there had been these days where he was in so much anguish and so much pain that he was simply just screaming at God. He was terrified, he says in his journal, of losing not just his wife, but the memory of his wife. 
He kept trying to remember over and over and over again all the good things that they'd had together. And he came to this place where he realized he wasn't really able to receive anything from God in these moments because he was too busy being preoccupied with screaming at God. Now what he says is, I don't think this is wrong and God can handle it. But I had to come to this place where I realized I'm not even sure I could hear if God was speaking to me because all I can hear are my own screams at him. There are times where, are there times where you and I have stopped listening for the voice of God, for the hope that we want to hear, instead only hearing our own voice in grief? God can handle your voice in grief, but he also wants to give you his voice in your grief. For Zechariah, for him, the answer is yes, because he's been longing for an answer to his prayers so long, but an answer to his prayers is the one thing he can't hear. It's the one thing he can't take. He cannot hear the angel sent by God. He's still living in his past grief. It's really the only truth he presently knows. He sees his suffering. He's struggling to accept that God might be doing something even greater than he can see in his pain. Isn't that true for many of us? It's hard to believe in God. It's hard to accept him in the middle of our pain because we can't see what he sees which is far beyond what our pain is. And so in that sense, in some ways, we start sinning. We start rejecting God himself because we've determined reality for ourselves, and it's only the things that I can see. And so even when he comes into the world, we cannot accept him. John chapter 1 says this, the true light, talking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world, even, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people couldn't receive him. Like so many of us, Zachariah is having a very hard time seeing beyond his pain. You know, I, I think of uh, when you're sick, right, all you want to do is be not sick, it's hard to see anything else. Or I think of a time I've had four knee surgeries and uh, tearing up my knees a lot, uh, playing soccer. I remember the first time that I, uh, that happened and how much I thought, well, God doesn't love me. He's taking away something that I love. And, you know, to this day, this has been a decade worth of now um, different injuries. And along the way, uh, every single time I do something, I end up thinking about, well, are my knees going to collapse? Are they going to break? Is something bad going to happen again? Uh, many times I actually still wake up with some residual pain. And I've had surgery to correct it, and I can do a lot of things again now because of the good things medicine can provide for us. But it's, some, like, it's this thing that's always there. I can't play a sport without thinking about how it's affecting my knees. And, and I can't wake up without feeling a little bit of pain every day. And I know that's probably only going to get worse. And so even though my knees are healthy and they're fine, I can't stop really thinking, even if it's just in the back of my mind, that something's still very wrong. And it, it comes with me. It's not just physical pain. It's a psychological pain. It's the way that pain affects us. It starts to encount, uh, affect our entire personhood. It affects who we are, right? And that applies to so many things. Our parents get divorced, and we wonder all the time about whether love can really last, whether we can really trust another person in marriage. Our friend experiences a disaster, and they don't seem to have deserved it. They're a good person. And so we wonder all the time, why is there evil and suffering in the world? And then we hear the Christmas story. God has come into the world to bring hope and joy and peace, to tell us there is a better future, 
a lasting happiness that can settle all of our fears and our struggles once and for all. But it's so hard to believe because we still feel the pain in our knee. We see the split between our parents and have questions about whether God can be good because they're still suffering. Do you remember this video that surfaced a number of years ago where uh, the, the people who were performing a study, they said, count how many times this group of people passes the basketball, right? And you're like trying really hard to count. You're just like watching all the passes. And you're like, oh, 27, 27 passes. And then they do this right after they go, did you notice the, uh, uh, the, the moonwalking bear? And you're like, what? What are you talking about? What moonwalking bear? And you were so busy trying to count the passes that were occurring that you didn't notice that the researchers had actually inserted some guy in a bear costume who was dancing across the screen. And once they tell you, you can't help but see it every single time. You know it's there. And you find it so hard to believe that you're like, how did I miss this? How is that even possible? There's a man in a bear suit dancing, and I was counting basketball passes. How did I miss this? You know, researchers were doing this study because there's a thing in psychology called inattention blindness. Inattention blindness. And in attention blindness, or also called perceptual blindness, is a psychological lack of attention that's associated, uh, it's not associated with any visual defects. I didn't see the bear, not because I'm blind but rather because my attention was so focused on some other thing that it was impossible for me to attend to the reality of the dancing bear. I was too busy looking at the basketball. It's like a temporary blindness effect has come over people as a result. And so you fail to see things that are there because they're so unexpected. This is what it's like for us, friends. We are caught between two worlds. And yet we have a very, very hard time seeing one of those worlds, the world that Jesus is bringing, the restoration he's promised, because it's so much easier to focus our attention on what's right in front of our face, the pain that we feel, the struggles we face, the questions we have. Those things are all real. And yet we can't see the dancing bear. We can't see that maybe God has come with the most beautiful and wonderful reality Not that he's saying those things are all fixed right now, but that he's entered the world to bring that new reality to us. Friends, this is uh, something I think we can consider. What if it's possible? What if it's possible that Christmas is for those who are grieving because someone did take action to ensure that we will feel and experience joy once again? What if it's possible that God does see you in your grief and your pain? Sometimes that grief and pain is of your own making, and it's called sin. And other times, it's not. It's something you can't explain. It's simply living in a world that has suffering. He sees you in each. He knows when you're having a winter solstice moment, when it seems like it is the longest, darkest struggle you've faced. What if... When he sees you, though, what he sees is the supreme value of what has been lost. And he has come to restore you and I. 
There's a man named Jerry Sitzer who lost his wife, his mother, and his youngest daughter all in the same car accident when they were hit by a drunk driver. And in his year-long reflection and grieving through that, he said, pain is a gift because it shows that we have the capacity to feel and to keep feeling. Pain is the flip side of pleasure. The pain of loss is so severe because the pleasure of life is actually so great. It demonstrates the supreme value of what is lost. Jesus recognizes our pain. He values us, and so he comes for us to restore us to pleasure, to goodness, to joy, to the things he's always intended us to have. The story of Christmas is not that God abandoned us, failed to answer our prayers, left us in pain or grief or loss, but instead that he took action to come, to answer us, to save us from loss in order to give us restored joy. What if God did take this action knowing that you and I couldn't? that in and of ourselves, we'd never be able to set the world right. Some of you have suffered. Yet God, through this Christmas story, is saying that suffering and sadness are not the end of your story. They don't have to be. And it wasn't the end of Zachariah's story. It says that Zachariah, remember the angel silenced Zachariah? He was literally unable to speak. And can you imagine what this would be like that your wife is pregnant and for the entire nine months of her pregnancy, you cannot speak. And the last thing that you heard was, you cannot speak because you do not believe. But oh, you will see. You will see what I will do. So God is essentially saying, well, you have a lot of silence now. Chew on this. Chew on my words because I know you've been chewing on your own. But I'm going to silence yours and ask that you hear mine. Because grief maybe leads us to struggle with believing God, but grief also leads us to the grace of God. Because after his son was born, John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit comes over Zechariah, opened his mouth, and he spoke those words we read at the beginning, which are all the promises of Christmas. And the doubt and grief that once overwhelmed him was now overcome by God's promises. And this is what Christmas is for. Doubt and grief that once overwhelmed us is now overcome by God's promises to us. Let me read that section again of Luke. Luke 1, 67 or 68 and following. These are the promises of God that we now praise God, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He's come. He's come to redeem us, to set things right. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. We're no longer stuck. He's he's come to save us from our enemies, from the hand of any who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant that he's made promises to people that he wants to keep. He he swore an oath to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear, no longer living in a world of fear. Can you imagine that? No more fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And he says, you will be, John the Baptist will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him in order that he will give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the sunrise shall come to us from heaven. This is how things get fixed. It has to come to us from heaven. God's bringing heaven to earth. You will never in your own efforts be able to go from earth to heaven. 
He brings heaven to us to shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the path of peace. What can you do about all of this? Even if you're in sorrow, you can still celebrate. Jesus' incarnation, his coming to earth, even if at the same time you scream and cry to God. Do you see that it is exactly when Christmas showed up for Zachariah and Elizabeth was in their pain? Not because they pretended they didn't have any. In the midst of their unanswered prayers, their desires for different circumstances, and this reality of felt despair, God was coming to answer not only their prayers and their despair, but that of all people, you included. What if that is what God extends to all of us, that doubt and grief that has overwhelmed us will be now overcome by his promises? While we had inattention blindness and couldn't see God in our pain, he'd been paying focused attention to us, seeing that all, all the things going on in our lives and promising a different ending. Some gifts at Christmas time are really hard to receive because they humble us. This is one of them, maybe the biggest one, that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. There is nothing we can do to fix our world. That for all, the, the whole idea of darkness means that there is evil in us and in the world and that we are ignorant with how to fix it. We are in darkness. We can't see enough to solve our own problems. For all of our innovation in technology, for all of our learning, is the world truly fixed? Many people, decade after decade, think the world is only getting worse. Friends, my grandmother won't be at the Christmas table this year. But she did believe in Jesus. And this year she's at Jesus' table. She's in another land on another shore where the light is actually brighter. She can celebrate Christmas even better than I can. Because she's in a place where the true meaning of Christmas is an everyday, unending reality. And what if Jesus came for this very purpose? To comfort the afflicted, to care for the downcast, to face our sorrows with us, to ultimately die on the cross in order to kill death, suffering, and sin, to give us hope and peace that will never be taken away. Christmas is not sentimental. True Christmas is the most unsentimental, realistic look at the world you can ever have because it doesn't say, hey, cheer up. If we just tried harder, we can all make the world a better place. Maybe if we give generously, it'll be a good Christmas. Those are all good things. However, that is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Christmas. And so you and I, we don't need to agree with optimistic thinkers who say, we can fix things if we try hard enough. But we also don't have to agree with the pessimists who say, there is no future hope. You and I live in a tension, in a land that still have, feels darkness, but with a person who has given us his light. The Christmas message is that on those living in this land of deep darkness, light has dawned. Light has come in from the outside to save us. We have been given the light. To quote the Lord of the Rings, he is a light for us when all other lights go out. That's Christmas. That's what Jesus came to bring. When all the other lights, the things that we've looked to to save us or help us or fix us or settle our problems, when they fade, he is the light for us when all other lights go out. 
He brings new life to replace our spiritual deadness. Jesus shows us the truth and heals our spiritual inattention blindness. He guides us into peace, breaking our addictions to money or sex or power. He befriends us in the shadows of darkness to show us that there can be light even in the midst of despair. The peace and hope that you are looking for is only found in Christ Jesus. The amazing thing about following him is that he promises he will come back again. He will bring full and final Christmas when he comes again. He promises that his hope and joy and peace are your future. There's another great line in The Lord of the Rings towards the end of the trilogy where Sam is talking to the wizard Gandalf, who everyone thought was dead. And Gandalf returns from the dead and is even more fully alive and powerful than he was before. And Sam says in amazement to Gandalf, Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And Gandalf tells him, yes, for a great shadow has departed. Tolkien was a Christian, and when he wrote those lines, he's thinking of Christmas. The shadow of death is dead. How does this happen? Friends, we're going to celebrate communion in a moment and the meaning of Christmas around that, that everything sad in Christ can come untrue for you and for me. Here's why. Here's what it says in the prophet Isaiah about Jesus who came at, to bring Christmas. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What is going to take away all of our sorrows? It's that Jesus became sorrow for us. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We just want our sorrows to be taken away. He came because he wanted to take our sorrows upon himself. That is Christmas, friends. Do you live in this hope? He has come for you. He seeks to redeem you, to raise up salvation for you, to save you from your enemies, to show you tender mercy, to keep his promises, to deliver you because of the tender mercy of our God by which the sunrise shall come to us from heaven shining on those of us who are living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this is your grace to us at Christmas. Our grief has been laid upon your back and you will guide us in, out of darkness into everlasting light and peace. Sad things can truly come untrue. Lord, we look to that future reality when it will be fully and completely and utterly true. But for now, we ask, give us faith, give us belief that we could see beyond the grief and the sorrows, our current circumstances, and we could see how you have entered them. Jesus, we seek to cling to your promises this Christmas. We come to your manger in tears, grieving all the pain and sorrows the world faces, but we also come to you in hope. What else do we have? So Lord, as we see our, our sorrows even this Christmas, would you yet fill us with hope and joy? Not that it pretends the sorrows aren't there, but shows us that even our grief can lead us to your grace. How we need you, Lord. And so we pray this in the strong and the faithful the merciful name of Jesus, amen.
Friends, as you take communion, I want to encourage you, if, if belief in Jesus is not something you hold, then let, let communion pass you by. And instead, we invite you to freely reflect on some of these things. What is the true meaning of Christmas? Where do I take my doubts and fears and struggles? But if you are a believer, and if this is your story, that even if you struggle with belief, you yet know that this is God's grace to you, that in communion, his body was broken. Jesus literally bore our sorrows and griefs in his body. He went to a cross to die. And then he shed his blood to forgive us from our sin. Some of the suffering in this world is created by us. And yet Jesus came to wash that away too. This is what communion is about. So as you remember and reflect, as you think and pray, know this, he has come and communion represents this, to bear our sorrows, to take away our grief and to point us to an everlasting hope, his presence with us, his sacrifice for us, his mercy that is freely given to us at cost to himself. Oh, to grace, how great.